also brought to you by the Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. Eat local, but stay coastal at the Boatyard Restaurant. The Boatyard is located at 1555 Southeast 17th Street in Fort Lauderdale. That means you can come by boat or you can come by car. Enjoy the nautical atmosphere whether you sit inside in the cold AC or outside on the patio bar. The Boatyard has something for everyone. Monday through Friday, happy hour. Where local favorite is bar bites and handcrafted cocktails. Open for lunch, dinner, and the popular Sunday brunch. And don't forget, ladies night. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. where ladies drink free. Dock and dine at the famous Boatyard in Fort Lauderdale. I am sure you'll have a great experience. Clear the airways. The Lunker Dog is on the air. Are you ready? This is the Real Guy Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to the Real Guy Podcast today. Very special day for me. I'm up here in Jensen Beach. I'm with the legendary Rufus Wakeman. Rufus is a uh, somebody we met through the social network. He's been a longtime supporter and happy to be here. Also, Stephen Busaka. Say hello, Steve. What's going on, y'all? And Larry Jones is in the house in the background. But um, Rufus, it's great to be here at the River Palm Cottages in Jensen Beach. Good to have you here. Now, this is full-fledged fish camp, right? It's a fish camp, but, you know, it's a clean fish camp. When the husband and wife are driving down the road and the husband goes, hey, honey, look, it's a fish camp. The <laughs> wife kind of goes, oh, God, not another fish camp, you know. But then when she gets in and she white gloves the joint, she goes, you know, we can stay here. So, and well, you know, it may be a fish camp, but if you don't like fishing, I don't care as long as your credit card works. <laughs> you know, <laughs> heads in the beds. That's the name of this business. Well, I tell you, um, I've been by here, but it's been a long time. And I never really spent the time to pull in and everything. But yeah, it's first class. Everything looks great. The colors are phenomenal. The view of the uh, bay here is absolutely phenomenal. That's actually the, what, the Indian River right there. That's the Southern Indian River Lagoon right there, yeah. Yeah, so at River Palm Cottages, you actually sit here and look at the Indian River. Yes, you do. And to think about all the good fishermen that come from this area. It's a great area. It's, uh, I've been fortunate in my life to be able to travel around the world, but I've really got to say, we got some of the best fishing on the planet right here in our backyard. It's actually good to be home. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, I look forward to it. I go, well, that was fun, but wow, now we can get home and go really have some fun. Now, Rufus, um, over the years, has had about nine world records. He's big into fly fishing. He's caught all the uh, billfish on fly, except for the swordfish. And um, is that still on your agenda? Oh, it's on my agenda. I just got to do it here in another, start about in another month. Start giving it a few nights. It's, uh, you fish at night for them, you know, you troll, and you get these little bites, and the swordfish comes up to the back of the boat, and hopefully we get the smallest one on record, because I don't want a big one. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it was funny. I was talking to Busaka on the way up here, and I told him, I said, you know, Rufus is big into, you know, into the fly fishing scene, but a little different than a lot of the guys that we talk to in the fly fishing scene. You don't seem to let's just say, have the persona where you feel like or act like fly fishing is the elitist or above the rest? It's fly fishing is fun. If it's windy, I'm not going to fly fish. I'm going to fly fish when I want to fly fish. And if I go somewhere on the planet, I'm usually fly fishing. It's funny. I, I don't fly fish a whole lot in my backyard. But when I go somewhere and it's my time and my dime, I'm throwing a fly. You can rest assured of that. Right. And, you know, fly fishing is a, for a lot of people, it's a natural progression. You know, you grow up, you throw a spinning rod or a spin cast rod, the old thing, you know, the button you push and let the button go and the line goes a mile. Then you go to spin casting, then you might take up bait casting. And then eventually when you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s, you start fly fishing. Right. For me, it was kind of the other way around. I, of course, I started out fish you know spin fishing and then at about nine years old started fly fishing out in wyoming so i grew up fly fishing for several years every summer in wyoming standing real river runs through it stuff you know standing right. in the stream i always just put on a pair of sneakers and shorts i never wore waders or anything it was always warm enough to do that out there but when i tied my first fly and caught my first trout on a fly i tied pretty much did it for me you know <laughs> Yeah, the, um, it's funny, I, I got into fly fishing at a, at a pretty young age, and I think I ruined myself early. What happened was, is um, 
my dad got me a little nine weight and this little Fenor number, I want to say eight or something, a little gold reel. And um, we had a place in the, in the Bahamas out in Treasure Key. And I go out there and I go to get my bonefish on fly and the school of bonefish rolls right up to me. I cast like three times and I get a bonefish on right. fly. And I'm like, okay, that was easy. Yeah. And then kind of put it away. And then I went home to Fort Lauderdale and went out one night and drew fly in the lights and got a couple tarpon. And I was like, man, that was easy. Yeah. And I didn't think nothing of it. And then I put it away. Right. You know? <laughs> and now that I'm older and I'm taking people fishing all the time, when I do get a little bit of time to fish for myself or when I do take my travel package, it's usually just a nine weight and a box of flies and then I just roll with it. That's it. That, that's, you know, it's... Once it becomes part of your life, it'll remain part of your life. It's it's just a nice way to do it. Everything on a fly feels a little better, like you've accomplished a little more. It's a little bit, you know, more you and the fish. You set the hook with your hand, right. and uh, there's a sort of a more intimate deal. You know, it's like a little intimate adventure. Yeah. You well, know? It's so, it's so light on the fly, too, that even if you're not hooking a giant fish, it still feels like a great bite. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got this CB antenna buggy whip sort of a, you know, rod in your hand, and it bends a, lo a long way. They're nine feet. So, you know, you can really make the best out of a... F I mean, a two-pound jack on a nine-weight fly rod, you're going to know you're hooked up. Yeah. You might even get into the backing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just a great way to do it. Right. Now, how, how many years for River Palm Cottages and yourself? This is our 20th year. Uh, this property was condemned by the county, and uh, it was purchased by a gentleman in Texas. He got it out of the bank, you know, the foreclosure, so he got the deal. I had driven by it for 20 or, let's see, almost 20 years. I mean, I bought it in 98, and I had lived here since 83, so, well... 15 years I had lived here and driven by this property and seen it in various states of disrepair and so forth. And I figured, gosh darn it all, someone bought the place that would have been a really great fish camp. And three weeks later, there was a for sale sign. And I can guarantee you, I, uh, I, I um, jumped you know, on the opportunity. I had the guy, I had the realtor on the, on the phone before I got to the sign, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was, and, uh, and I, and I, you know, put an offer in, in a couple of weeks and, Fortunately, they accepted my offer. The second offer, you know, they accepted it, and uh, we were able to get it, and it's been a really great endeavor. All right. Every time you hit your hand like that, they can hear it. Gotcha. Just so you know. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> right? Say you said boom. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you bought the fish camp, and you immediately had the vision. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, it was really simple to see that, you know, we just got to paint them and put tin roofs on them and, go in and gut them and you know in some cases had to put all new electricity and uh, none of them had central air they didn't even have air conditioners a lot of them just maybe window units and so we really updated it and then we landscaped the property and threw down some nice grass and you know it's it's just been a blast i mean i could see it way back when and yes we've had some real market real estate market booms <laughs> where i could have sold this place and made a fortune right but it's sometimes it's just not about the money. It's about giving something back to the community. It's about having a place where people can go that really doesn't exist anymore. The old Florida fish camps are gone. Right on. So this is one of the first, you know, last ones and has been for years. And, uh, you know, it's a special piece of property. It's just a really lovely piece of property. And, I mean, I look forward to every event that happens here that I can come and hang out. Right. I think you hit it on the head. It's like everything else has been progressing and they call it, you know, they call it progressing. Right, progress, yeah. Yeah, developing and stuff. And you and you roll into here and you get a taste of that old Florida. Yeah. And I'm sure just like being a guide, you know, you start seeing people come into your camp, say, 15 years ago. Yeah. And then they come again, you know, two years later and they had a son that was seven and now right. he's nine. Oh, and he's yeah. 13. We've actually had people that have been coming here for over 10 years. Yeah. And I've watched their kids grow up. I've actually had kids in the neighborhood work here and, and have their first real job was working at the fish camp. And then their you know, two brothers, for example, their father actually set up a limited liability corporation in their names so they could deposit their paychecks into it and learn about money and how the system works. 
Really? And and they one be, went on to become a really successful lawyer, and the other one is a, a really successful accountant. Hmm. Now, you've dedicated your life to fishing for the most part. Pretty much. And you've taken thousands of people fishing. Pretty much. And now you've got a camp where people can hang out and fish from here and, yes. and do things. What gave you that energy, Doug? I mean, like... Just, you know, every day is a new day. <laughs> I kind of look forward to them, you know? Every day you wake up, and the beautiful thing about fish... Oops, sorry. It's all right. <laughs> as long as they know the, what's going on. Right, right. You know, <laughs> the beautiful thing about fishing is that every day is different. Right. You know, you wake up. It may look the same to a lot of people, and a lot of people don't notice the subtle differences in the seasons here in Florida. The water looks a little different color when you get into the fall and the waves come from a different direction and things of that nature. The sky gets a different color and it's all very subtle. Florida has beauty that doesn't jump out at you. I mean, it's hard to look at a swamp and find beauty in it for a lot of people. <laughs> but I look at a swamp and I see cypress trees and birds and grass and water, water. you know, and, and just the stuff that lives in it that I know is there that alligators and turtles and bass and brim and you know all that mudfish <laughs> one of the most beautiful fish in the world to me is a mudfish right. you know the, the the bowfin is a gorgeous animal uh, but you know florida's got you know it's all about subtlety and when you go fishing it's almost the same subtlety if you get in a weather pattern like summer where it's out of the southeast every day for a month it all looks the same every day you wake up and leave. But as you're going to the inlet, you might see something different. You might see, you know, a pelican dive or you might see a porpoise roll or you might see a tarpon roll or a manatee or an osprey crash into the water at 100 miles an hour. And every day is just something a little different. Right. You, know, you mentioned bowfin. You think that that might be another record on fly? You might try to get his. Oh bowfin. God! I mean, the bowfin. You, you got. I, I don't want to throw my best bird dog into the place where he lives. <laughs> you know, there. Uh, you caught a bowfin, Busaka? I've never caught a bowfin. Me neither. A bowfin is a. It's a hard fighting fish. That's what I've heard. They get up to twenty pounds here in Florida, and I've caught them probably 13, 14, 15 pounds out of Lake Okeechobee, and. They're a great fight. I've caught them on artificial worms. I've caught them on live shiners, dead shiners. But, you know, when the, when, when, whenever a bowfin eats an artificial worm, you're thinking you got a 15-pound bass. Really? And then it turns out to be a mudfish, and it's a little <laughs> anticlimactic. It's like, bi it's like bycatch. Oh, well, it, it, it's a good bycatch, you know. It, it's a strong fish, and they're, you know, they're pretty in their own right. It's like a snakehead. You know, <laughs> We've snake. never caught one of those either. I, I've never caught a snakehead. I never yeah, caught a bowfin. This, you know, like that, right around, right around our you know, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. There, everybody's running around catching all these crazy different fish. And you, know, you think I'd learn about those fish on National Geographic or something? Nothing. And I'm not. I'm learning about them from catching them in the ditches yeah, in Miami. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, peacock bass and red midas and Mayan cichlids and jaguar guapotes and yep. and bullseye snakeheads and what's that big one? That really big the freak. Paku. Paku. Yeah. yeah. Pakus are native of the Amazon, and they yeah. get 60, 70, 80 pounds. We don't have any Pakus in Miami. Yeah, we do. Yeah, you do. Do we? Pat Ford, behind Pat Ford's house, he goes out there one night and throws out a couple handfuls of, you know, trout chow for brim. <laughs> right. It's like dog food, you know, little pellets. And these two Pakus come wandering into the chum slick, and I'm standing there on the dock going, Pat, get me a rod. He goes, you'll never boat those. You'll never catch that thing. It'll rip out line and wrap around 30 docks, and that'll be that. But they're 60, 70 pounds. They're huge. I mean, these things are, they're like barn doors. I mean, they're gigantic. And there, there are people on YouTube that are actually catching them on strawberries. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> eat the, they'll eat berries that fall out of trees, like the grass carp, the emure carp down here, eats a little red ficus berry or a purple ficus berry so they tie flies to mimic a berry i mean i've seen flies that mimic flies and flies that mimic fish but never flies that mimic berries or fruit you know this is like the i've seen algae flies too for the milkfish in the seychelles they tie an algae fly 
it, you know, that's that's yeah. kind of odd, you know. It's, I, I seen Cantner, I seen Steve Cantner in Fort Lauderdale. You know, he's got a bunch of different flies that are basically mimic the berries that fall off yeah. the trees, the sea creeps, and all that. Right. And he was doing the land captain stuff years ago, and I thought it was, you know, maybe uh, the most unique type of fly fishing that I've ever seen. Absolutely. And I think since then, you know, lots of people have caught on to that. Right. <laughs> Hold on one second. Now, Rufus. Um, let me kind of get into get into something a little different. You know, we have the term uh, real guy. And um, a lot of people, you know, kind of interpret it a little bit different. But um, when I reached out to you and I wanted you to come to the LonkerCon event, um, we had some people in the network, um, the twins, the Ernst brothers, yeah. that spent some time here and uh, knew you and um, just thought you'd be the perfect fit you know for longer con so we reached out and you were gracious enough to take the ride down and spend some time with the network um and i came to pirates too though you know the one you had up here at pirates cove also of course yeah yeah, yeah. that was uh well that was like the year after that right, right? no uh you you had was one it the year before i think you had one down south then you had one on the west coast then you had one here and then you went back to the west coast yeah i get him i get him confused right we, we've been this is a this will be 11 years of doing live events okay with the social media and we actually named it LonkerCon, or peter miller actually named it LonkerCon about cool. five years ago okay but when you were there um people were really excited <laughs> now they were because, well that's cool no they were excited because um you know a lot of the people that attend LonkerCon are you know like you and i like busaka all different yeah but are really into you know the the whole lifestyle of fishing and and the experience yeah the experience and it seems it seems like there's no real social event for those people no there's not there's you know we've got all the cca banquets which are great you sit in a room of 200 300 500 like-minded individuals all interested in conservation and so forth and fishing and and whatnot but there's not any or the igfa banquets or the hall of fame dinners or right. the tournament functions and so forth but LunkerCon's just like a you know real guy fun event where you're giving back to the community and yeah. everybody loves it and it's it's a blast and, and i mean i'm i'm absolutely all for it well it's like that was my that was always my thing um you know growing up in the industry and doing a lot of the tournaments and yeah, we would have events, social events, we'd get together, but it just never felt like um, you could really loosen up the right, right way, or you were tired because you were in a tournament, or you were there because of a boat show. Right. But it was never like just a social event. Just for fishermen. For fishermen. Right, exactly. So, it's, so, uh, you know, and I mean, there's a certain thing about the whole uh, fishing world, you know. I grew up in Palm Beach in the 60s and early 70s, and I used to hang out with an old guy named George DeBay. Right. Some of the old fishermen in the, you know, that might hear this podcast may put a little smile on their face when they hear that name, George DeBay. I'm a friend of his grandson's, Chip DeBay, okay. who I would like to, I'm actually going to see if he can come to Lunker Con. He's a good guy. Oh, that'd be awesome. His grandfather is, in my opinion, one of fishing's favorite sons he owned a tackle store on worth avenue in palm beach <laughs> which when the old palm beach pier was there which was when i was born the pier was there but i don't remember it i was only like three or four i think when it went away when the right. uh, hurricane or something knocked it down and so i didn't get to fish on the palm beach pier spent a lot of time on the lake worth pier george DeBay had an organization called the kid helpers Okay. And it was, its token animal was a fat cat, a big fat cat, and I mean it. It was a <laughs> tabby cat, a gray tabby cat, and it was the fat cat, and that was on the membership card. And he printed up little business cards and gave it to everybody and would write your name on it. You're a member of the Kid Helpers Association, which is, if you're on a pier or a bridge or you're observing people fishing you're, and they have an issue, you offer your assistance. 
And I remember as a kid helping people get catfish off their hooks because they were scared of them and I wasn't scared of a catfish. Right. I'd just grab it and get my fingers around its spines and remove the hook with a pair of pliers and yay, here we go. And so that was sort of my thing. And then there's another group that he was part of called the Jetty Conks. Okay. These were the guys who fished the Palm Beach Jetty and it was a snook fishing thing. And I would try as a kid, but was too little. And, you know, I, I just didn't have the right equipment and the knowledge of how to catch big snooks standing on the jetty in Palm Beach. Right. So, but it was something that I did and I, and I loved going to his store. He wrapped fishing rods the old fashioned way. He didn't load them up with all the butter that they do these days. He just put simple deck weaves on and simple guides and whatnot. And, did it using a manual set of yokes that he would put the blank in and he would take bank sinkers and tie like a six inch piece of leather to two bank sinkers and that's what would hold the rods down in these yokes as he would hand spin the rod and hold the thread wow. and he could put a rod together in a matter of 30 or 40 minutes really doing this just manually and it was just a pleasure to watch and it was old school and I used to love to sit here and listen to his stories and one of his statements that really stuck with me throughout my life is control your emotions and it was just something I've always done I've always thought before I spoke and always tried to not get too excited about <laughs> stuff and try to approach it as a uh, you know, like, all right, let me analyze this real quickly and see what I got to do to get the right outcome. And one of the best uh, examples of this, I guess I could come up with that has been applied to me was we were in the middle of a dolphin melee offshore. And I had, you know, 25 pound fish running around the boat and I had a guy hooked up and I had his little kid going batshit. Oh, excuse my French. Dude, it's a real guy podcast. But um, far out anyway. So <laughs> I man, you know, I'm keeping it cool and I'm hooking live baits and we're hooking a fish and I'm taking the fish, handing it to the kid and hooking another fish and putting it in the rod holder while I bring his father's fish in. And after it all, the kid looked at me and said, you know, you remind me of the dude. The dude. And I went, the dude abides. <laughs> Any of you big Lebowski fans out right. there will know where that's from. And I take that as, I mean, that is about the best compliment I could get. Dude, I love you that. remind me of the dude, you know. I've still have seen that movie. Because I mean, I've seen it. I mean, we were in, you know, where other people would have been. It would have just been elbows and a holes and stuff <laughs> flying out of the boat, and you know, we had pile of dolphin around they were good sized dolphin and i figured yeah i just can't get too excited i gotta control my emotions <laughs> and i got through it and we caught four or five of them and you know all right we got enough let's leave the rest of them and well you know so. I, I, I got a little different story from the ernst brothers about you controlling your emotions okay and um let's just say that when i took them fishing yeah they said that you and I had a lot in common when we're out there on the water, yeah. like we don't really hold a lot back. Oh, we won't hold a lot back, but, <laughs> but you know, when the, big, when the big one gets on, it's like, all right, let's get the anchor in, or let's drop the anchor, or let's do this. Wind that rod in, please. Let me start the engine. Let me get going, because you're getting low on line, right? <laughs> you know, and, and uh, no, it's, yeah, I, I won't hold anything back, but I try to get through the initial shock and awe of any kind of bite. Yeah. as slowly but as quickly as i can no i think it's important to keep you know you're able to stay focused if yeah. you control your emotions and you know keep from making simple mistakes and right it's way easier to teach somebody when you don't have too much emotions involved uh-huh but um yeah no i feel you on that will you have osaka you even getting any of this? Well, I'm like, you were, dude, you, the little show that you put on before we even started, man, you were like just ready to rock and roll. I wanted to just kind of sit back and let you kind of get all your stuff out real quick, man. Yeah, I want to make sure you were getting all this because. I, I'm, I'm like a sponge right now, just taking this all in right now. Good deal. You know, you know uh, hanging out with Busaka, getting that whole millennial, you know, outlook on everything. Right. Every, every, I taught him the term millennial. There you go. He has used it ever since. So if there's one thing I can say, I've taught the lunker dog. Is the term millennial? <laughs> he, he talked a longer dog, but he doesn't. He, he hasn't been picking up on the slang 
That'd be you learned me something. I learned you learned something. Learned you something, yep. Well, I was trying not to step on you. I was trying not to steal your thunder either. You know what I mean? <laughs> we're speaking of thunder. It's probably about to storm. Yeah, right we're now. about to. It's about <laughs> the bowels of hell are about to open up. Ah, that's, 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 hey, all you folks out there, take this hurricane seriously, but not, don't buy into the hype. Make sure you get some water and some, you know, beanie weenies and Vienna sausages in your cupboards and, you know, hold on. Yeah. And whatever you do, don't, don't, don't evacuate. It ain't going to be that bad. Yeah, I, I think people are starting to freak out already. How come is it every time one of these storms pop up, it's always coming right towards us? I, well, you know, we have went from 1948 to 2004 without seeing a storm here in Martin County. Right. So, you know, we've had several. We've had, let's see, um, Francis and Jean, Wilma. We had Matthew. One Matthew go right offshore of us a few summers ago. Then if it was 30 miles, 40 miles closer, it would have been a different deal. You know, it, it, it sort of skirted up the coast and went into Jacksonville, but it was supposed to come here. Yeah. It made a little jog when it got north of Nassau, and that's what saved that us. Because that, that thing rolled through West End and wiped it out. You the worst know? part was I had just gotten done putting up the shutters that morning. There you go. I took a nap. Right. And I woke up and I said, I called my dad. I said, when's this hurricane supposed to hit? Right. He goes, it just turned. Yeah. I just put the shutters up. Perfect. Well, that's the deal. Put them up and you won't need them. Don't put them up yeah, and you'll be wishing you did. Well, the, I mean, the, the, the two most serious hurricanes that I can ever recall was, uh, of course, Andrew. And then a lot of people don't realize it, but that little Charlie that went through Punta Charlie Gordy, was terrifying, yeah. Yeah, that was harsh. Yeah. And nobody knew that those were going to be like that. Right. You know, they, well, Andrew, I remember going to bed on a Friday night and waking up Saturday morning, and it was a new storm. I mean, she had gone from a category one, like a high one or a two, to like a four overnight, and then she bang, she hit as a five, yeah. Yeah, and, you, and that's the thing, is you can never quite get it. So right, and I mean, we've, and we've been very fortunate with regards to the fact that we have not had one of these hurricanes hit a major metropolitan area. Yeah. Now, when Sandy hit up north, she wasn't even a hurricane. It was just a large storm with a lot of wind in an area that hadn't had that, and it wiped out all those communities in New Jersey. If, if we were to take a storm in Miami or Fort Lauderdale or, you know, a real ground zero Cat 5 hit, I can't imagine what the damage would be. So, so this is my take on it. So every storm that, that, you know, starts to go out in the Caribbean, they show the cone to go right at Miami, Fort Lauderdale, usually the East Coast. They sell a shitload of ads. Yep. And then after they sell the ads, maybe, just maybe, you might get the real story on what's going on with the storm. Right. Well, here's, here's the motto of the hurricanes these days. No refund. <laughs> Explain. It's pretty much the motto. You buy it, you keep it. We're not taking it back. <laughs> you know, that's the retail motto is no refund. Right. You buy a generator, it's your generator. We're not taking it back. See the sign? that's in like one inch letters in the back of the shop and far away from anything, but it's there, it's there. you know, and that's all it's got to be, you know, it doesn't have to be at the point of purchase, no refund, but they've capitalized on these. I mean, there's already stores with no water. Yeah. Our Publix is around here. Their water was gone instantly. Yeah. And have to go to Winn-Dixie now. Yeah. You know, God forbid we go to Winn-Dixie. <laughs> I'll, I'll make, I'll make a deal with, I'll make a deal with you and Larry. Yeah. If the if a storm hits here and you guys need some water, I'll bring it to you from Fort Lauderdale. Perfect. And then if it hits Fort Lauderdale and we need some water, yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll bring it bring to you along some? with beer. Yeah. Yeah, we'll bring beer too. Lots of it. See, I think the government doesn't quite get the whole thing. Like right. real guys helping real guys. Right. Like Absolutely. People, people can do it without them. We don't need. You know, the last thing I want is them in my face, <laughs> right. you know, right. although I got to say that, you know, if, if it gets really, really bad, yeah, then, you know, we could go for some, you know, like National Guard to come in to protect the looters, stuff like that, because you're going to have that. You're always going to have looting and, you know, crime in Andrew. Andrew is actually the storm that created gouging laws because there were people from South Carolina, North Carolina, would, were coming down into, right down into Kendall and Cutler Ridge, backing into neighborhoods where people were standing outside their houses with guns at night to 
to you know prevent the looting yeah oh it was frightening it was scary but they'd back semis in with generators and you know it's a thousand dollar generator eight hundred dollar generator or whatever it is they were charging five grand ten grand and so the the you know the government got involved and created anti-gouging laws which were really it was a really good thing to do you know I mean, you know, a $200 cordless, cordless drill should cost 200 bucks. It right. shouldn't cost $300 because there's a hurricane coming. Right. And they've all become big retail events between the water, the food supplies, the plywood, you know, the batteries, the power tools. Flash I mean, lights. I literally, we had a storm a few years ago come through and I, I needed a cordless drill. My old Ryobi drills, the batteries were shot. And so I ran up to Home Depot. I found one Milwaukee 18-volt cordless drill in the whole store, <laughs> in the back, somewhere it wasn't supposed to be. And I, I said, wow, lucky me, and I grabbed it and I bought it. Right. I still have it. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's become a giant retail thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's all about, you know, it's all about selling stuff and marketing to the crisis. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's par for the course. Right, it's not right. the only thing. It's kind of right. like the way the world goes around. Hey, if Jim, if Jim Cantore's coming to your neighborhood, you know, you might want to consider leaving. <laughs> you know? <laughs> there you go. That's a way to read yeah. between the lines. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Now, Rufus, um, listening to um, your podcast with Tom Rowland and um, some of the different stories that you were telling, um, one of the things that just stuck out to me once the first time I, I really got to hang out which was at LunkerCon and all the guys wanted to talk to you and you were real social then you get on that Tom Rowland podcast and you mention everybody else under the book that you had experiences with uh, good, good ones bad ones tough yeah. ones scary ones but it just seems it comes so natural to you to be a people person and to and act humble. and to act humble we were talking about that it's like this is the dude that's holding the world records this is the dude, you know, that could pound his chest and say, look at me, I'm the king of fishing and that kind of nah, thing. Never been that way. You, you're you're the epitome, the opposite. No, it's it's a fun thing to do and something you can teach people to do. And it's not that complicated, really. It's like, you know, playing ball or something like that. You know, it's it's a sandlot game. Yeah. It's a it's a bamboo, you know, crappie rod or a brim rod game. It's just a different way of doing it but it's all what's 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 my favorite fish yeah that's the one i'm catching right now right i don't care if it's a brim or a friggin grander or a blue marlin on a fly rod which is really pretty far out <laughs> but you know if, if i had my choice i might go there for the rest of my life and do that but i mean it's it's all about the one you're catching now yeah i'm just want to have a fishing pole in my hand and the possibility of catching a fish Right. That's where I'm at my happiest, you know. That's that's sort of my calm, serene place. Well, it's kind of funny that you say that too, because I got recently into the whole Biscayne Bay thing with the bonefish. Right. And my dad was saying to me, he said, you know, because I said to him, I said, you ever want to come out there with me? And he was like, he's like, man, he goes, I don't know how you do this. You got more patience than me. Yeah. He said, but what if you don't catch anything and you're spending all this money? I said, Dad, I said, but what you don't understand is the experience is what you're right. also paying for. Being out there on those flats right. and you're seeing stuff that a lot of people don't even have the chance to see because they don't even have the kind of boat to even get out there, let right. alone know how to get out there. Right. So that's I like how you touch on that too. It's like I got the rod in my hand. There's the possibility. Of yeah, it's a possibility. But I might not get one. Right. I heard from, you know, uh, you know one, of, one of Fishing's great sons, Flip Pallet, years ago said someone asked him you know what's the what do you get out of f fishing and he said relationships yeah yep. and it's a really good and you can take it way further than just me and my buddy sitting on the boat i've got a relationship with my environment i got a relationship with the fish i'm in pursuit of my tackle i know my tackle and my tackle knows me it knows my i know my knots are all good i know when i see that fish and i have that shot i'm going to get the best possible shot because my relationship with the wind the boat the tide the current the this the that the that the this i've studied it all and i've built up these relationships and so i've i, I thanked flip too once because i told him I, you know i i said that was a real 
interesting way to look at it. And I really, when you said that, it at first I thought, wow, yeah, my friends, you know, the people I fish with. Right. But you can take it further, you know. I got a relationship with Indian River Drive when I'm on my way to the boat ramp, <laughs> you know, and I know that I better just go a little wide there because there's a bump in the road and I'm going to stress my transom, you know. So, uh, I mean, it just, you know, there's, you can just go on and on and on and on and on with the word relationship as regarding to fishing if you take it to those, you know, those distances, those those lengths. No, I think I think that's a good way to put it because, like you're saying, you can have all those different relationships and then... You can have your people that, you know, you like to fish with or you became friends with. And those are a whole different style of relationship. Right, right. But I think you're absolutely correct. You know, there's definitely. You learn something every day. So you know, say he's learned this. learned you something. And <laughs> hey, you talk about relationships, the real guy network is no. the epitome of building relationships. It's huge. I mean, you know, Jeff, you've done it. By the way, hats off to you, buddy. You've done a great job with this thing. Lunker Con and Lunker Madness and Run That Dog and. <laughs> rtd and all this stuff is great it's i love it it's fantastic well, I think, it's you know camaraderie at its finest yeah i think that's i think people have fun you know yeah. running with some of the stuff and i think if you can if you can some people hate it some people love it well but, whoever but hates it then they're missing the boat i mean the see, point. It, it, there's a you know there's a lot of that stuff out there there's a lot of petty jealousy there's a lot of stuff going on you know, Larry recently had ran into an issue with all these striper guides up in Tennessee and people and, you know, bitching and moaning about, you know, okay, we caught a fish that was 35 to 40 pounds and we didn't get a picture of it till it was dead. I'm 6'4", 350. My buddy who was <laughs> holding the fish ups, you know, um, you know, Rick Detata, he's a big guy. We held this fish up. Now, it was, you know, close to 40 pounds. I mean, it's a big cobia. Yeah, I, yeah, that weighs a lot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so he posted this, and I mean, these people got on him, like, you know, calling him names and blah, 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 all because he said it was a 40-pound cobia. And it, it really got toxic to the point where one guy was like, hey, I'll meet you in the parking lot at Denny's and friggin'. And, you know, it was, it's, that's unnecessary. And social media has kind of bred a whole new generation. Yeah, new generation of, yeah. you know, a fishing guide that's just in it for the social media thing. Yep. A lot of it's the eight, you know, I mean, for me, fishing has been for the eight by 10 glossy forever. You know, I mean, I've released everything I've caught for 40 years. I just don't keep fish. Right. I just don't keep them. I'll, I'll keep a Kobe, I'll keep a dolphin. I haven't killed a snook in over 20 years. I certainly haven't killed a trout in 30, and um, I don't, for, I'll, nope, I didn't even kill that one. I let it go. I just measured it, and now I have a mount of a 32-inch trout. But, um, I mean, I, uh, you know, we, we just don't kill fish. Right. And, you know, we'll whack a few kingfish for, to smoke them and eat, eat them. Of course, I'll whack dolphin. Um, of course, I'll whack, you know, a, a cobia or snappers and groupers. But I don't want to kill 40 of them. Yeah. You know, I go fishing in the Keys with some people down there, and we end up killing so many fish. I kind of feel guilty about it, but yet it's really fun while you're doing it. And then at the end of the day, you open the fish box, and you go, wow, oh, my God, what have we done, you know? Fish. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you don't really realize that, wow, there's 20 mutton snappers. Well, I know I can only eat a few of them, and then the rest goes in the freezer. And generally, once it goes in the freezer, that's the end of that. Right. Right, right. So, well, I want to get into some kind of some some a couple of funny things before we we wrap the podcast up. One of the things that we decided when we started doing the podcast, we weren't going to fight the trends, and um, we were actually going to roll with the trends. And one of the things that Busaka actually um, noticed, we did a um, podcast on body odor. Gotcha. And deodorant. And deodorant. Yeah. And um, kind of like when we first did our our YouTube videos on the cast netting and we weren't, you know, we just did it because that's right. what we did. We cast it. And then everybody wanted to know about cast netting and which way you threw it and this, that. Well, in the podcast, this body odor thing went over big. Yeah. So Busak and I are talking on the way down and we're like, you know, Rufus is a big guy and he's spending a lot of time out there on the water. 
Like and breaking a sweat. He thought yeah. you, you were probably like a right guard guy, and I'm thinking Old Spice. Bang! Old Spice. Old, boom! I told you. I didn't you. say right guard. I, <laughs> I said it's a possibility. I said right it was here. a possibility. Run that dog, man. You, boom. I think you talked to him before this, and real quick just said, hey, what kind of deodorant you use? Absolutely not. You this is candid this. and completely. <laughs> I'm, I'm Old Spice. And See, I prefer I prefer the white chalky stuff. See, I don't like that one. See, I like that one because it's still there tomorrow. Because <laughs> I know why I don't like it. Right, exactly. It's tomorrow. still there tomorrow. Right. For the first time in the Real Guy podcast, we're actually redlining the volume over here. So you guys <laughs> calm down. I told you this is a good topic. Bang. It, it, yeah, they, I, we, but hey, we were we were on to something. Yeah. When they, we did this and we said this is something people are gonna want to hear about. And I, and believe me, I can stink like a boar hog. I mean, literally, that just crawled out of the swamp. Dude, I mean, these, it's pretty ugly. These millennials get online, and they brag about their deodorant. There's kids that get online. They use Axe. When he's, point, <laughs> when he's pointing at me, he doesn't yeah. actually mean me. <laughs> right. I just right. mean I just mean my generation. You. Yeah. Right. And they have like they 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 have like this thing called the 10 second spray. Ah. 10 seconds wow. with the spray. Ten seconds, Ten seconds with the spray. That's excessive. And then they're ready to hit the world. That's that's way excessive. Larry, what are you sporting? Uh, that's the uh, degree. You doing degree? Yeah. The, my, the, do, yeah, degree's good, and you can get that on sale. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I've been I've been doing acts because I got a thirteen year old and she, ah, and she yeah. thinks it's cool, you know. Yeah. And you know, but I took the old spice. I had to put it aside. In right, right. uh, Victoria, I, I used the old spice. So. Yeah. What? The, my old old spice? Yeah. I used to love the old spice commercials. You know, the really hot blonde, and then the captain comes walking down the dock, and she gives him a little snuggle. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were jamming what way is, before your time, what, pal. What, I, just, I remember that. What happened to the old days where, like, you know, a good commercial included the hot chick? Right. Or, it's, the, yeah. or the big, you know, superstar movie usually included the hot chick. Right. Not anymore. Yeah. It's sport. all different. Yeah, it's totally different now. I miss it. Hey, it's, it's you know, everything's different. We live in a really changing world, man. We, I mean, we, I don't know if it's changing for the better either, but well, we've, no. we've been able to stay somewhat politically correct on this, right. pod, on this podcast, but that's basically because we only compare ourselves to other real guys. Right, exactly. Yeah. So as long as you do that. Yeah. But the one, the one, the one. That, and most fishermen generally, in, in general, are pretty good. Well, I think. Most of them. Most, most. I, not all of them, not all, by any means. Not all, yeah, not all anybody. But I think, I think, I think what breaks down all barriers—racial, political, ages—is, of course, fishing. But working hard. Yeah. Like oh if, yeah. If you're busting your ass and you're working hard, and you're doing that with a, a Puerto Rican guy, a Jewish guy, and a black guy. Yeah. And you guys are all working hard right. together. You break all barriers. Yeah, and the beer is going to taste good to all of you at the end of the day. It's, it's going to taste better. What's that, Larry? That's me and him all day. Is that right? From daylight to dark. <laughs> yeah. Fish, yeah. fish, fish. No, but hey, you... if you fish, I don't care what color you are, what planet you're from, we're going to get along just fine. I, and I think most sports are like yeah. that. I mean, if, if, if you don't fish or hunt, I generally don't want to know you. <laughs> I, I don't really have anything in common with you, and, and I definitely don't trust you, you know? <laughs> it's just that simple. I mean, I've been in weird places in New York, down in Greenwich Village, in a room full of people that I am so out of touch with, but I'll find the one person in the room that, when I mention fishing, they'll go, hey, well, I was a cameraman who filmed the fishing show, or I was just down in, in one case, the guy at that party that night, was in Florida on three days prior at the Waterway Cafe. Uh, yeah, the old Waterway Cafe down on uh, BGA Boulevard. Right. And he mentioned that he was doing a promotional video for water safety. And I said, was Randy your talent? <laughs> and I had not seen this friend of mine, Randy. I can't even remember his last name. <laughs> But he used to date my stepsister. And Randy was, you know, it was in 76. 76 or 77 was the last time I'd seen him. And this was probably 19... 
89 that I saw him for one night, and then two nights later at a party in Soho or Greenwich Village, I run into his cameraman. <laughs> so it's, you know, there I am it's in a room world. full of people named Igor and, you know, Fuzzy and Becky and, and you know, Dimitri. And you know, folks that are way out of my, you know, I mean, we're not, we're not even on the same. Oh, it's terrifying. In they're wearing turtlenecks and thinking they're really important, and they've teased their hair into styles that are really, really, pal, really, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and, and it's all good, you know, but yet, you know. It's nice to find the real guy in the room. Yes, it is. But, you know, we're all putting one foot in front of the other and trying to get through this thing we call life. Yeah. So no matter what, we've all got that in common. Yeah. You know. You know, Rufus, um, Kind of piggybacking off of what Jeff was saying of how he and I, you know, we had some time to talk when we were on our way down, yeah. on our way up here. And one of the things we were talking about, too, we were like, you know, Rufus, he got a pretty, you know, you have a pretty substantial beard, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Jeff and Lamont were at ICAST this year. Yeah. And all they kept, they kept blowing up my phone saying, dude, you got to see all these beardos oh. that are at our ICAST. Yeah, ICAST got taken over by the beardos. ICAST, it, it's true. I've had this beard since 1984 it has been on my face i have never shaved it off i'm scared to shave it off because i don't i don't think i'll recognize my <laughs> or my chins <laughs> anyway i know my kids would never recognize me i could sit in the room and they wouldn't know it was me because they've never seen dad without a beard really yep my kids would i'm literally 30 what 35 years now 1984 I've had this beard so so what, what what's kind of your thoughts on these guys with these with these really substantial well it's beards? it's gotten into this long beard however long your beard can be and then I hate to say it because I'm wearing one you got to wear a plaid shirt too you know <laughs> but that seems to be the going thing in the fishing world the is wearing hats. a plaid shirt and a right a costa hat just like <laughs> well, no, no, it, it's like a flat brim. You see, oh, we, I don't do flat hats. I don't do yeah, flat hats. My That's, generation, my generation is flat hats. Them, they call them uh, snapbacks. Snapbacks. Yeah. My generation flat hats. Them. That's my son's all into that. Yeah. I, he's he's nineteen. You know. I, so captains for clean waters at ICAST this year gives me the flat brim. Yeah. Captain right. Yeah. Yeah. Waters. Yeah. So I'm sporting the piss out of my flat brim yep. because I'm trying to support captains for clean right. waters. And my 13-year-old is killing me. Yeah. She's crushing me about the flat brim. She said, Dad, you know, you're trying to look like a young guy. Right, blah, blah, Dad, blah. It, ain't, it ain't working, Dad. And, you I'm, know? and I'm like, Glory I'm, days are over. I'm just trying to... Because you got to have it a little... You got to sort of... Cock it. It's got to be a little to the side. And if it ain't, man, you ain't cool. You know, either that or all the way back to this extreme where... You're like that. It's really ridiculous. Off, so. I'm sure I can, yeah. You gotta put those back on nah, and get feedback. <laughs> Did you hear that? Dude, that was ear piercing. That was that worse was than nails on the chalkboard. Dude, that was like Quint walking in right, and doing yeah, a going like this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think at this year's LunkerCon, we're gonna do a Captain Quint lookalike. For 10,000 bucks, I'll bring you the tail. The whole the damn, whole damn fish. <laughs> See, now, the, 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 the caps they're wearing in Jaws, those were the grossest ball caps that I've ever seen Absolutely. any fisherman wear. And we That's, get pretty bad. I'll tell you what, ready? I would like to see them do a word-for-word -word exact remake of Jaws exactly. I don't want them everything to be exactly the same with the technology we have today. Don't know who you could get to replace Robert Shaw or Nobody. Richard Dreyfus. I Nobody. mean, you can Roy Brody, Scheider. Roy Scheider. You could. I can work with someone. We could get someone to goof on him, but to do a real serious. Because I've seen the Meg and I've seen Blue Water or whatever it is, Deep, Deep Blue, Blue sea. sea, which is actually pretty badass. You know, when the shark bites her in half. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's always a pleasant thing to see. Um, you know, but. Jaws was so iconic, and I had read the book prior to seeing the movie as the great fish moves silently through the night water propelled by short sweeps of its huge crescent tail. <laughs> its mouth opened just enough to allow a steady flow of water over his gills, blah, 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 that blah, sounds blah. Like something would say. That's the first line of the book, Jaws. Yeah, really? And yeah, yeah, that's oh, ingrained in my memory forever. Uh, and and that movie... Book was based on Donnie Braddock and Frank Mundus's 3,400-pounder. Right, right. And Peter Benchley, who 
I'm good friends with Susanna Waterman, whose father is Stan Waterman, who is the preeminent videographer of our generation. There he goes again. Right. Stan Waterman invented the underwater housing, you know. (laughs) I mean, the guy is a genius. He's 93 years old and quit diving like four or five, three or four years ago because he's just, he's blind in one eye and, you know, he's 93 for God's sakes. But once he gets in the water, he's no longer 93. He's like 18. You know, he puts in a regulator in his mouth, goes to the bottom like a stone, comes up as slow as the slowest bubbles and barely breathes. Gets hours out of a tank. But, you know, the Stan is just my hero. And uh, But Peter Benchley wrote that book, and shark fishing and shark lore changed forever. I don't think we'd have Discovery Shark Week on Discovery Channel without Jaws. Yeah. And uh, I think that that movie deserves to be brought into the 22nd century. I think you're right. And, uh, and, but it's got to be exactly the same. You can't change it. Right. You can't everything. That's the, they're gonna, but that's the thing. If they do remake right. it, they are going to try to change it to make it more contemporary. Right. But, you know, I mean, maybe the scuba tank in the mouth thing, that might not be a good option. But that was entertaining. And, I, and, and you know, I can't remember how the shark died in the end in, in the movie Jaws or the, or well, the book. But th- Well, there's uh, one, there's one thing. Right. There, there's one thing that happened in the book that they should have put in the movie because Hooper bang Brody's I wife. I know, exactly. Why wasn't that in the movie? That would have been that was, right. wait, that was Because in the book. that was in the book. And Reddy, one of the best lines out of that was, I think Hooper was talking to her. She wanted to, you know, have some sort of an affair. Well, he was having an affair. But he said something about how, well, if we're going to do that, we can't do it in the cheap motel because the walls are made out of Kleenex and spit. <laughs> and I thought, wow, what a lot. That is brilliant, you know. What a but yeah, they never had any of that interaction in the movie. And I just, I just thought it would have, you know, it would have made it just a little bit more deep. Or it maybe- would have been a little saucy. There's no question. But you know, that's there being, you know, there's infidelity now, and now we got this other. That's more a space for the book, you know, because you could go with that whole theme for 30 minutes and well, then we don't get the shark eating right, the kid right. in the beach, you know. Right. Well, well like, like we were saying, we like with all the trends, one of the things that uh, we did over the 4th of July is we did five podcasts in a row wow. on Jaws. Oh, awesome. Yeah, all different ones. And then the final podcast was Lamont and I sitting together watching Jaws with no volume. Oh, and, and, they right. got, and they just got to listen to us bullshit cool. about Jaws <laughs> two hours. That's awesome. And I thought nobody, I was like, ah, okay, you know, it's funny and everything. Maybe we'll get 100 people to do it. So far, we've had over 700 people. Excellent. Watch Jaws and listen to our broadcast <laughs> over top of it. And That's then, fantastic. And then they email me and stuff, and they start laughing about, you know, some of the different things. And Lamont, just a movie nut, knows everything right. about every camera, about every actress. Right. And we were able to carry on for five episodes. So I'm thinking to myself, after the second Jaws episode, I think it was uh, in memory of the Kentner kid or whatever. Right, yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, this is going to fade off. You know, okay, we started off with, you know, a thousand listens. And then, okay, the next one will probably only get 500 and it'll go down to 300. But it was the opposite. Wow. Yeah, it actually gained momentum. That's now, pretty cool. But there's no other movie. No. That, that could do that. And think about that movie was around before him. Right. Well, there's one other movie you could do it too. <laughs> What's that? It's not fishing related. Scarface? Caddyshack. Oh, oh. we could do that. Oh. Well, actually, oh. Lamont says that the only other movie he would do that for would be The Godfather. Even yeah, The Godfather, that's difficult. I mean, that's like three hours of hell to sit yeah. through, you know? That's like teaching somebody as you're reading the encyclopedia. Right. right, you know? But Caddyshack, on the other hand, we can all agree that. That's phenomenal. You know, I mean. Ted Knight, come on. Well, that was the first already. We're waiting. It's one of the greatest films ever, if not the finest film ever constructed. It is epic. I mean, they take Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, who hated each other, throw them into one scene and say, just go, guys, go. There's no, there's no script. (laughs) Did they hate each other? They hated each other at that point. Yeah, there was all that post Saturday Night Live stuff, Uh, and they were not the best of friends. But you're both in the movie, so here's a five minutes. Go, and, and they did it. And they did it in one take. 
Really? One take. They wanted to get through it. And that was all one deal, just one take. Rufus Rufus just learned you something. Yeah. See that? It's by far the the greatest film ever. There is nothing that touches it. Gone with the Wind, Be Done With You, friggin', you know, all of that. Nothing. What What was the line when they're... When the kid walks up to the, the snack stand, he's like, I want a hot dog. I want a hamburger. Uh, and I you'll get a, nothing you'll you'll get get like nothing it. Spalding. <laughs> yeah. Spalding, get your foot off the boat. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were teenagers on Fort Lauderdale Beach. Dangerfield hung out. Yeah. Right on Fort Lauderdale yeah. Beach. Did he really? Yeah. And I mean, the boat's still down there. The seafood, the big striker's still down there somewhere. It was just on Facebook not long ago. They filmed something at, like, the Rusty Pelican over in Biscayne. That, that, that was that part was of the scene. movie, yeah. I think yeah, that was, yeah. Rusty Pelican. But as kids, you know, we'd be down at the beach playing basketball by Bahiamar, and that's where Naturefield would go, and he'd be sitting in his chair, and, you know, he'd be like, dude, check it out, Roddy Dane. He's looking over there, he'd wave, and he was super nice and everything. But that's, uh, you know, I tell people when you grow up um, in South Florida that you're really a minority because of the stuff you're exposed to down here, not only the fishing and the boats, but the movie stars and the... The different the uh, madness like, yeah it's just the total, social structures and the this and that and i mean yeah it's to- insane totally different here yeah. and, and then i go to school up at yukon and you try to explain that to the kids right now yeah and it's like you're, you're you mean university of connecticut yeah. yeah 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 i went up there um played football up there for four years and um i learned a lot i went to boarding school in connecticut for five years what part of connecticut pomford connecticut for the rectory school Suffield, Connecticut for Suffield Academy, of which I was not asked back to for my senior year <laughs> due to two years of general mischief. Of, and be- then, of being a young man. And then I went to the Foreman School in Litchfield, Connecticut, because I can play tennis. Well, let me, let me see if this holds common, because the, the biggest thing that I learned about being in Connecticut was how great Fort Lauderdale Beach was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although my family actually landed in Westport, Connecticut in 1632. Really? So there's Wakeman Fields and Wakeman Lanes and Roads in, uh, in Westport, Connecticut. That's pretty good. And I've never really spent more than a few hours in Westport, but I did spend five years in Connecticut. My mother's born in New London, lived in Greenwich, and my aunts and uncles lived in, you know, Stamford and so forth. And My I, dad's from uh, Bridgeport. Bridgeport, yeah, the yeah. Fort Jefferson Ferry. I used to be on that all the time. I I, I met a lot of a lot of good people when I yeah. was up in Connecticut, yeah. Yeah, me too, same, yeah. same with Massachusetts. Yeah, but I would have to say, especially as far as the chicks go, like at University of Connecticut, there was like you one hot story. there was like <laughs> one hot chick in like every five thousand. Right, so Fairfield the, County, Connecticut does have some cute gals though. Really? Fairfield County, it's like the only county in Connecticut that's got you know. Really, you know, something yeah. I could look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Because ain't no one gonna beat South Florida, you know. Maybe South Carolina or South Southern California, but I, I went to Southern California once, and I I was expecting more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's more people, so it's harder. Here we have more cute chicks per acre, probably than anywhere on the planet. Yeah, I'm proud. I'm proud to be part of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, Lusaka. Yeah. Me three. Yeah, Larry, what do you think about that? <laughs> Absolutely. Vizaka, pull up next to Larry so we can get on the mic a little bit. Or Larry, here, you pull up next to me. Yeah. The, uh, so, Rufus, what, what, I see you guys fishing together yeah. because of Facebook and stuff. Larry, yeah. Larry's your dog over here? Oh, Larry's, Larry's the big dog, man. We have a good time. No, Larry, I met Larry uh, probably six years ago. Okay. Six or seven years ago with the Snook and Game Fish Foundation. They had a tournament here with Florida Sports Magazine or something like that, and Larry showed up and, hey, Larry Jones, hey, Rufus Wakeman, nice to meet you. Then maybe a year later or so, Larry called me about starting a, trying to do a tournament, you know, the Trout Trail, something like that, you know. And it's funny because I had thought about that prior, back in the 90s, because of the SKA. Right. The SKA, the Southern Kingfish Association, and then, you know, then they had the Redfish Trail after, you know, know, my thought of the Trout Trail and Redfish are more conducive to that type of tournament but trout you'd almost have to have photo release because they're not going to live in your live well but there's only one there's redfish or trout you get from north carolina all the way to texas so larry what so you what, could do that what, what's it like hanging out and being fishing buddies with wakeman over here get your mic close because we want to hear this 
he has taught me more about fishing in the last six years than I could have learned in a lifetime. All right. So it's a, it's a real honor. So it really is. So you just appreciate everything that you've been able to learn and. Oh, yeah. See, I mean, I fished from an early age, uh, growing up in the Carolinas, and you know, I was big into bass fishing and and you know, just freshwater fishing. Deer hunting. Big into deer hunting, I still am. But uh, at the first time, you know, I moved to Florida. I came here for FBNL years ago in 04. Right. And I wound up moving here in 06. Gotcha. I had my daughter and got married. And uh, somewhere along that time frame, around 2010, me and Rufus met. Yeah. And I was doing tournaments here for, uh, like you said, the Snook and Game Fish Foundation. And uh, me and Rufus met, and I was... If I, if I sink my mind into something, I'm head over heels in, into anything I would do, I set my mind to. Right. And saltwater fishing was one of them. And it just blew up, man. It <laughs> just, I, I started watching your videos and everybody else, magazines, and enveloped myself into saltwater fishing. And then me and Rufus met, and Rufus was just like me. Right. Only on a bigger level. Right. And uh, we became good friends, and uh, we've been friends ever, probably best yeah. friends ever since. Hell yeah. Nice. And, uh, I mean, if I'm home when I'm not on the road, we're on the water. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it don't matter what we're doing. You yeah. know, we'll pick a day. We're, we're going tarpon fishing day. Or we're going snook fishing day. Or we're going sail fishing, tarpon fishing, snook fishing, trout fishing, <laughs> all in the same day. Right. And we do it a lot. Yeah. You know, it's just one of those one of those things. And, <clears throat> oh man, I I couldn't ask for a better friend. Well, it sounds. Well, thank you, Larry. Feelings sure, mutual, no buddy. Problem, yeah. It, it it sounds to me like. Um, that's the real guy helping the real guy thing. Yeah, it's a good deal. 100%. You know, and, 100%. and, and you can tell, you know, that you guys are real comfortable yeah. with one another. And um, let's wrap the podcast up on that because I think that's what makes the uh, Real Guy Network go around. I think yeah. that's what makes the fishing world go around. And it's all about real guys helping real guys. Hey, I'm happy to be a real guy, man. And I'm 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 really glad that we and Busaka made the trip up here to River Palm Cottages awesome. and Jensen Beach. And if you guys have not visited jensen beach and the river palm cottages do yourself a favor drive by here and take a good look because when you have to make a decision on where you want to spend some time this is a hell of a place yeah we get a lot of people who live in st Lucie county who come over here for the weekend yeah. just because it's just you know you don't have to go far but you do feel like you're somewhere else. Well, I think the West Coasters would really appreciate yeah. it because they get the bay and they get the brown water, but then right off the beach there, they can catch their sailfish and some of the right. things that they have to really bust yeah, their You ain't going to get them there. on the West Coast any, any, anywhere close to shore, that's for sure. We're, we're blessed to have the, uh, the pelagic fishing that we have here. Well, Rufus, thanks so much for being on the uh, Real Guy podcast. It was a pleasure. Larry, great to meet you. I'm glad you were here. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, Busaka? Oh, Wakeman learned you something. No rock and roll. That he did. I was going to say, I'm going to be talking about this stuff for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> well, thanks so much, and thanks for tuning in to the Real Guy Podcast.